Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. For example, at PwC and in more for-profit spaces, I realized that you had a bunch of uh, very talented data professionals who had a lot of skills, a lot of experience, but also wanted to use their skills for a better world. Mm. And uh, just using a few hours of their time um, uh, and using the time to help the organization uh, with their data was really that sort of like perfect match where both sides could really uh, find what they were looking for. Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. We are proudly sponsored by Neon Treehouse, the best digital agency on the planet Earth. To learn more, just head to neontreehouse.com or hit the link in our show notes. Today, I'm excited to bring you my conversation with Ethel Karskins. Ethel is the founder and CEO of Savita. Savita creates opportunities for collaborations between skilled volunteers and socially driven organizations for innovative, data-centric and sustainable solutions. Ethel's background is in democratizing data, building digital solutions, and in empowering and upskilling for-purpose groups and organizations to impact positive social change. I really enjoyed chatting with Ethel and liked hearing about her journey from the big four to grassroots for-purpose organizations. We have some important conversations about career journey, democratizing data, building capacity at for-purpose organizations, how to help organizations build toward achieving some of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, and also topics like gender and broader diversity in tech and the workplace. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ethel as much as I did. So I am absolutely thrilled to be speaking remotely via Zoom with Ethel uh, from Sydney. How are you? I'm good. How are you? How are you how are you finding things? You're in Sydney, lockdown must be tough. How are you coping? Um, I'm coping all right, actually, because um I do have a garden. Um I'm an introvert, so less social interactions sometimes can be good for me, actually. Obviously a bit um difficult times because we don't know how long it's gonna be. But um apart from that, I'm feeling pretty pretty lucky in this lockdown. Oh, well, I think your glass half full mentality is going to serve you very well. And um, I'm a bit jealous of uh, you being in Bondi. I'd love to be in Bondi at some point. So um, kudos to you. But let's get into it. I'd love to hear a bit about your history. You do a lot of amazing things. But uh, before we get into all the things you do around data, cyber, forensics, um, take us back into history a little bit and your, your journey into the space. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm originally from Brussels in Belgium which is a very small country between France, Germany, and the Netherlands. Um, and I've, I'd say that this uh, journey into data and social impact started when I left uh, university. So when I uh, got my master in econometrics, I was kind of in a void where I had no idea what I wanted to do, um, where, uh, what sort of space I was interested in. So I actually left uh, Belgium for almost two years, just traveling by myself um, and going to Australia a bit, uh, especially in Western Australia, uh, then spending a lot of time in Asia, in uh, the Middle East and uh, East Europe. And during that journey, my main um, uh, team was to interview women 
and to talk about gender inequalities. I had became a big um, supporter of gender inequalities um, and my goal was to understand what it meant to be a woman. So I would go to small villages in uh, East Thailand or South China, just asking to these women um, what, uh, what it meant to be a woman for them. And during that whole journey, uh, whole social impact uh, moment, um, I kind of realized how little resources um, NGOs and community had. And by resources, I mean, they had very little money, um, almost no tech, um, all these different things that make an organization work uh, better. So when I came back to Brussels, um, worked a bit with Microsoft and then went to Sydney. So that was in 2017. And as soon as I arrived in Sydney, I just knew that I had that ha-ha moment when I arrived in Sydney, when I was like, I want to still work in the social impact space, um, but also want to add uh, data and tech to it. I want to use this amazing resource of tech and data to help people who already do good things uh, better with it. I want to give that, to make that bridge between um, impact and, uh, and tech and data. So I came here, I came to Sydney, and I think in the first few months, um, I started a community called uh, Data for Democracy in Sydney. So that community already um, uh, exists at a global level, but I did it, uh, I did a chapter, the Sydney chapter. Um, and basically every month we were meeting, talking about how we can use data for good, talking with different communities and um, organization. On the side, started to work at PwC um, and then with startups, uh, building my experience and knowledge in data. And then um, uh, and a couple of years ago, uh, two, three years ago, started Civita, which is a not-for-profit uh, that connect data professionals who want to use their time and experience for, um, uh, for social impact. And uh, now I'm here where I'm still leading and um, uh, supporting Civita. And at the same time, I'm working very closely with uh, social enterprise, NGOs, and uh, communities to uh, help them with data tech, which is what's basically my dream uh, yeah, four or five years ago. So it's pretty tremendous. Uh, I've got a couple of questions to uh, to, to open with. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the first one would be... Um, <laughs> The first one would be, um, how did you discover your love of data? Where did that come from? Um, I think that it's, so I think obviously studying economics and statistics for five years um, uh, created or forced that love, I would say. Um, That's one thing. But I think that within data, or at least the way I use it, lies um, um, a sort of like, truth to it and I'll be very careful with that word but there is that aspect of making um, the right decision or the best decision with the information you have uh, that's something that I'm very very uh, passionate about mm. I think that within data there is also um, there can be obviously bad thing happening but there also that um, hope of using data to um, inform your organization to inform uh, more what you can do as an individual as well. Um, there is that sort of like um, power of uh, potential power of uh, equality. Yeah, and I'm, I'm keen to yeah. get into that a, a bit, but I think what I'm hearing from you a little bit is mm-hmm. that you are kind of a bit in love with the search for some kind of truth. 
Um, exactly. And, yeah. and also the ability for that truth to empower communities. Yes, definitely. And I think that's even like, well, more than that, I think having two parents who were journalists and very passionate about getting the truth uh, with uh, within developing countries, uh, I think really uh, kind of like inspire me to get to that, but I guess in a more uh, nerdy way with data. <laughs> um, so I'm guessing your parents think a lot in words and you think a lot in numbers. How did that go growing up? Um, it went, uh, it went all right. No, I think that I'm still thinking a bit in words as well. I just they don't really understand what I'm doing, uh, as we, <laughs> as they all do when you work in data, like it's really hard to share what you do with, um, with your parents or your family. But, um, <laughs> um, no, I think it, it went really well. It was just a very passionate, um, uh, family environment where we really cared about, um, other countries' uh, struggles and other community struggles, and I think that created for me a lot of empathy, empathy to um, to do things for other people. And what what kind of barriers did you face in coming to Australia? I mean, did you speak? Uh, excuse my ignorance. Did you speak much English in Belgium, or was it Flemish mainly? I was mainly French, actually. And then um, when I arrived in Australia, obviously I, I knew English, I could speak English, which was great. But I think there was definitely a barrier, and the barrier being more less about understanding and basic communication, but more about um, having some form of authority, I guess, mm -hmm. in the sense of like uh, being taken seriously uh, in the professional context. Um, obviously, you can hear my accents. I'm using the same words. Um, but um, uh, so that would be the barriers is uh, still being taken seriously, even though I'm a young woman with a French slash Dutch accent. And how much do you think that the being a young female sort of weighs into people um, perhaps subconsciously not taking you as seriously as you should because you're in a male-dominated um, field that that sort of, you know, it, it doesn't, uh, it has been far less accepting of women than maybe it should have been over time? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I've been relatively lucky most of the time. Most of the organisation I've uh, have worked with um have uh, had a female leadership, which really helped uh, differently. Uh, I had experiences where um, the executive or the organization I was working in was uh, mainly male. One of them, for example, I think I was the only woman uh, in the Sydney, Sydney office for a few months. And that was a massive difference. I could really compare the two experiences. One where I was with, uh, surrounded by women, uh, passionate about data as well. And the other one where um, I felt like um, I was not taken as seriously, where my technical skills definitely were not taken as seriously, where it was expected from me to um, to act in certain ways, I would say. Um, and um, and yet yeah, that was pretty hard. And I think it was really good um, a lesson, I guess. Um, one lesson being that uh, I would try, I think, if I can, uh, to... Um, avoid organization where there are more than 80% of men in it um, and really try to, um, to to find an organization where at least I have um, a 50-50% or a 60-40 um, that, that doesn't matter much but where, where I think that organization where, where there is a very large uh, proportion of men it's a symptom for me of um, um, some form of um, how can I say um yeah some form of like deeper 
inequalities, potential inequalities within the organization. Yeah, and like I noticed that your organization is all female and very culturally diverse. Um, so how important is that for you in sort of fulfilling your mission at Savita? Uh, it's definitely important because a key value is uh, what we call uh, data equity. And that happens, that obviously needs to happen in the project that we're choosing, which is basically um, helping small organization with their uh, data, but it's also in who we bring. So what uh, data volunteers we're bringing into Civita. And for that, we really aim to have more uh, female data volunteers uh, that we have whenever we can. Uh, at the moment, I think it's a uh, it's maybe 20% of uh, women volunteers and 80% of uh, men. And we obviously always trying to um, balance that. I think having, um, being all women, at the moment we, we are three women, but we used to be seven or eight of them, uh, which was quite um, uh, funny because, not funny, but most of the fully, um, fully female uh, organization in the STEM industry, whenever you have, um, um, the majority of women in the organization, there is all most of the time um, a focus on doing things for women and equality in STEM. But in the case of Civita, we are full, like all female team. And uh, while gender equality is definitely one of the things we want to focus on, we also just have, we want to stand for the fact that we are um, a normal organization in STEM. And we not not just here just for women we are here for everyone and i think that that should be normalized a lot more in tech yeah absolutely not, uh genderized i don't know how you call that all the time yeah uh, gendered very gendered Gender, uh, yes exactly and so let's talk a bit about savita and the mission and, and how you got started what was the gap that you noticed in the market and um tell me a bit about your approach and the idea behind building savita um, so Civita was the kind of um, next chapter of the community uh, data for democracy in Sydney. And it came from um, the realization that a lot of um, small and medium uh, charities, NGOs, not-for-profits uh, were doing that amazing job with communities and society, but they often didn't have the data maturity that they, they needed. Um, and I realized that by in different ways, obviously by um, coordinating data for democracy and coming across a lot of these organizations, mm -hmm. but also just working with a few of them, I realized that there were a lot of uh, low hanging, hanging fruit in this organization where you just had to train one person or you just had to do a couple of dashboards and really get them uh, going. Uh, on the other hand, uh, working, for example, at PwC and in more for-profit spaces, I realized that you had a bunch of uh, very talented data professionals who had a lot of skills, a lot of experience, but also wanted to use their skills for a better world. Mm. And uh, just using a few hours of this time um, uh, and using the time to help the organization uh, with their data was really that sort of like perfect match where both sides could really uh, find what they were looking for. Um, it's and so don't you think it's a bit weird that um, like PwC didn't offer that as part of, you know, like here are some pro bono projects to work on as part of your kind of budget or? So, so they do have, they do offer um, um, hours of volunteering if you mm -hmm. want to, mm -hmm. and you can use them. 
but I guess that's um, you could match with an organization and helping them. But what I've noticed uh, working um, during that for the past, what, three, four years now, is that um, the key thing that is needed is that scoping aspect, is being able to scope the right projects and manage volunteers and the organization and making sure that that project is being leveraged after. Because what I saw a lot at the beginning with other organizations is that uh, you would have one volunteer coming in the organization, doing some like complex uh, thing and then showing a PowerPoint and then we would come then after with Tavita and look into that job and be like, that's amazing, great for PR. Um, everyone is happy, they have a dashboard. But then you notice that no one really knows how to update the dashboard after. <laughs> uh, no one really understood everything that was said. Or sometimes uh, in the other way, the volunteer would be pulled into a very long and um, uh, slow project. And I think that's my... Um, my objective with the volunteers is to make sure that every hour they put into the project is uh, as optimal as possible because it's already very generous of them to give that time and I want to make sure that I'm using it in the best way possible. I'm guessing one thing you might have learned from PwC, and it's the same with most consultancies, is they they do projects really well and then they deliver it to the client, but they don't do much implementation. So it's sort of like, here you go, it's all done, exactly. here's the documents, yeah. and then you come back a year later and it's just sitting on the shelf collecting dust. So it exactly. sounds like, yeah, it sounds like the reality, this, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like the Savita approach is um, really in that dynamic implementation space, which is, you know, critical. Exactly, uh, exactly. The outcome is really to make this organization independent and uh, making sure by yeah, that we implement it in the right way. And um, w- with how you think about, you talk a lot about data equity and, um, you know, that, that being a mission. Why did you choose data equity rather than data equality? And what do you sort of see as the kind of difference between the two? I guess that within equity, it's also about um, the resources and the opportunities that you have um, with the data, right? It's uh, We talked about organization and individuals. And what we're focusing on is um, the differences in opportunities that these individuals and organization have on the organization side would be more about uh, having the resources and the knowledge and leadership to understand where they need to go um, in the data in the data space. And on the individual side of things, it's about uh, giving this opportunity to everyone, not just, um, uh, for example, Australian men, but also everyone who, um, uh, every woman, young, older, uh, students, uh, people who might not uh, usually typically do some volunteering opportunities, but really to creating that opportunity to uh, to everyone. And that's where uh, equity uh, came from. I think that's a really good point to make because equality speaks to a world where, you know, um, all outcomes are the same, but really what we're talking about, I think, with Savita is providing the same opportunities to all organisations to make the most exactly. of their data and turn it into something really valuable. Yes. And um, what about Black Impact or is it NCIE? Yes. So um, I'm actually, I left Black Impact last week um, because I'm starting a new job uh, next Monday. I'm in between now. I'm on holidays, sort of. Um, But um, with Black Impact, uh, it was quite interesting. Um, It's it's a beautiful organization within NCIE, which is a national center of uh, Indigenous excellence. 
Um, and it's an, basically a consulting uh, group uh, led by uh, incredible, incredible uh, indigenous woman called Sky, um, who help um, indigenous communities, uh, indigenous organizations uh, measuring their impact. And my role in that was um, to help with anything related to data and tech, helping um, extracting the right data, analyzing it, visualize it, um, and helping what this amazing team was doing with Indigenous communities, which was really about um, uh, giving data sovereignty to uh, these communities, which uh, was a very important subject and topic of the team. So what's, what's the sort of outcome or impact been of that work and, you know, it, it, like giving them the access to that data and the, the power of data-driven decision-making, what, what has that kind of led to for um, Black Impact? So it's a lot about um, not only giving back uh, the data, but also, and I think it's quite an important point, is um, understanding what sort of uh, data and indicators are important for them, right? Because you would have uh, Western uh, ways to look into uh, the impact of the program, and then you have the community ways to um, look into the impact of the program. And what was that organization um uh, aiming for is first understanding what data needed to be collected uh, from these communities uh, perspective and really hearing the community and not just uh, applying um, Western ways to uh, measuring this impact and giving back the data. And then uh, in that aspect, then it's understanding, well, how can we give them the data? How can we um, interpret, interpret that data with them as well and not for them? That was really the key goal of um, Black impact in, in the Fantastic. Way. And so how do, like, just imagine a typical not-for-profit organisation that maybe has really low capability in IT. There's probably no IT person on staff. Um, there might be an outsourced arrangement with an IT services company. Um, what's what's it like, the process embarking on um, an organisation comes to Savita and they say, we really need your help. Um, how do you help them harness the power of their data? What does that kind of look like? Um, I think that so there are a few key, st- key steps. The first one being uh, understanding they what we call the data maturity. So understanding what sort of uh, project they've done before, who would be the data person, even if it's not an official data person, but who understands the data in the team, um, what uh, are they aiming for, what are the key business uh, objective, and by business I mean uh, operation. Um, um, objective for the next six uh, six months or three years, uh, we have that conversation. We assess the maturity, and then from there we um, scope a project with them. And that project being scoped needs to be aligned with um, uh, the resources they have. So obviously, we don't want to create a very fancy uh, analysis or dashboard for an organization that has literally no expertise at all in dashboards. Um, or we want to make sure that we, it's going to be something that will be uh, leveraged by, by that organization. And that discussion really happened between Civita and the organization. Once we had that data, that project scoped and uh, ready to go, we give it an estimation of efforts needed, what sort of skills is required, um, what uh, how much time it's going to be to, to require. And then we go to our community and we say, hey, there is that um, amazing project. We're going to need someone or a team um, that's many hours a week for the next four weeks, 12 weeks. Um, if you're interested in, I don't know, the environment, gender equality, homelessness, that's for you. 
Um, and then we would like, sometimes we go directly to the community, sometimes we directly email people because we have that database of volunteers where we know uh, what are they interested and uh, how available they are. And then we kick off the project. Amazing. Great, great summary. Um, do you think that working with PwC with your own kind of niche understanding of data and um, and, uh, and and everything data-related, cyber and forensics, was it really helpful for you to learn the consulting process um, to help you in what you were going to do subsequently with Savita, like that whole idea of delivering work in like a, a project sort of approach, multiple clients, professional services um, environment? Yes and no. Uh, in the sense that uh, PC definitely helped me in many ways in terms of like working with very complex data sets, working with um, uh, clients. Um, so on that aspect, definitely it helped me. Now with Civita, we did like a lot of, uh, we had a lot of iteration of how we work. Um, I think uh, especially in the first few months and the first couple of years, we iterated on a process at least three or four times uh, based on the feedback because we're really big on feedback. So we would go back to the volunteers and organization to understand what worked and what didn't work. And I think it's really that um, iteration and um, uh, feedback culture that really helped us getting where we are at now. Uh, while I think with PwC was a lot uh, larger, massive organization, massive data sets, well, here, we, what we're really aiming on is um, creating that connection with the organization, that connection with the volunteer, and taking the time that is needed to uh, implement the project in the right way. Well, I think you've summarized the difference extremely well. Um, talk to me a bit about data equity and data for the SDGs, so sustainable development goals. What, what does the work involve there? So there is a movement called uh, Data for SDGs, where basically uh, it's uh, a movement where any organization helping uh, achieving the SDGs with uh, data um, can and can follow or be part of. Um, and this is where Civita stands basically is helping uh, getting to uh, reaching the SDGs uh, globally uh, with the data. Obviously, we're more focusing on Australia here uh, and it's still a very small impact, but I think it's like if every organization um, do a bit of they, um, their role into the SDGs, uh, I think that's where we're going to get there as well. So, yeah, that's where, where we are. Fantastic. And how does it go right now, particularly it's a tricky time with COVID, but in terms of getting volunteers on your books, like do you have a huge number of volunteers who are kind of waiting for projects or is it really hard to get people to volunteer or like, cause you know, from the sector overall, this, this sectoral standpoint, volunteering has gone down probably a little bit as has donating in the past year. So mm-hmm. how does it go with Savita and your kind of um, resourcing? So there is a bit of two um, opposite trends, right? On one hand, you have more people, um, especially in the first wave of the pandemic, uh, people who wanted to help, people who wanted to do something else and work uh, and were stuck at home and just wanted to do something uh, a bit more social as well that has an impact. So in that case, we had a much more uh, more people involved um, with what we're doing. On the other hand, we also had a sort of a fatigue, obviously, with uh, volunteering um, and uh, some uh, worrying as well and maybe not wanted to uh, staying on your screen again after work uh, to do to do volunteering. So it's a bit of a hard one. I'm not sure uh, how, what impact what. What we notice is that um, we do have uh, create uh, this relationship with volunteers 
that come back and back again. So usually, typically, when a volunteer is, has already volunteered, that person is going to still be keen to volunteer um, after and help with uh, other organizations. So we kind of like still have that, and that's a lot more stable, I would say, uh, pandemic and non-pandemic. This person knows uh, experience and knows that uh, it's a uh, welcome uh, scope and they have all the support they need if they need to. Uh, so they never really feel alone if they uh, volunteer. So in that sense, the sort of like um, the fidelity, I guess, of volunteers to Civita um, has not been hit too much by the pandemic. That's terrific. And what kind of hours do the volunteers or does an average volunteer put in on an average week? Um, I would say it really depends, but it's between two to four hours a week and it can go for one week. Uh, but we also had some project going uh, up to three, four months. It really depends on the organization, uh, for how long it goes. Uh, if it's a team or if it's just one person, um, it varies a lot. But it's approximately around that. So I think on average, yeah, maybe like two to four weeks. And like... I would just say, as somebody who knows the sector but hasn't done this, that managing volunteers and getting volunteers to do projects is one of the hardest things there is in management. It's even harder than managing paid employees because these are people who are giving their own time and passion to projects. Exactly. What kind of challenges do you face in mobilising like a volunteer workforce like this? Um, I think that's... Generally speaking, we had we didn't had too many challenge on the volunteering side. Um, it was more for some reason I think more on the organization side that we had more uh, issues. Issues being I think that um, the fact that we have um, uh, pro low bono services uh, make it also sometimes uh, more easier to forget. I would say sometimes from the organization side. Um, so we had um, sometimes slow communication from both sides um, or we had a misunderstanding of um, the scope or misunderstanding of um, the outcomes um, expected from the organization. Uh, in general, I think that um, it was more about uh, putting in the time, uh, the right amount of time with the organization point of contact and with the volunteers to make sure that uh, they had the right expectation. Uh, from each other's and making sure that the organization was not um, asking too much to the volunteers and on the volunteering sites are uh, making sure that understood that that organization might be uh, might be very busy with other projects and might not respond directly or might have a very very little understanding of uh, data or anything they were uh, creating. And so how scalable do you think the current model is for Savita? I mean having people coalesce in teams um what what kind of project size can can or organization size can a group of volunteers kind of handle and is that growing over time um that's a really good question that's still something that we are uh, discussing a little bit at the moment we have our main focus is mainly a small to medium organization because it typically not always but typically have a low to medium data maturity and that's really where you have the low hanging fruit right so where we can help with a few projects and really uh, have an impact within the organization um, so working with larger organization could be an option but uh, I think that in this case we would also go against in a way a key value, which is if it's a large organization, we'd expect them to maybe have the resources to have the data team. And in this case, 
it might not be appropriate to uh, give away volunteering time to organizations who have the resources. Yeah. Now, in terms of um, uh, scaling Civita and how we work, uh, so and by scaling, I mean helping more and more small to medium organization. Uh, we definitely talked a few times about um, um, productize some part of a process and really trying to uh, minimize a bit um, the manual um, uh, process in it. So be able, for example, have a platform where we have volunteers choosing the project or the other way where organizations choose the volunteers they want to work with. Um, so that's something that we are uh, working on um, at the moment that we still um, need to design. But um, in this case, the the key aspect of Civita and the key added value of Civita at this stage of um, our journey is still to scope that projects, and that's something very manual that required expertise, and that can't be can't be scalable or not too much, uh, or at least there is like to be a strong training to be done, but it's still something that will need to be manual. So we could do something a bit more scalable. Uh, but it's still a, a bit of a journey. It's a process. So I, I did have a bit of a um, stalk of your LinkedIn and I just thought there's a person who's doing so many things at the same time and, um, you know, with every additional thing we take on, I think we have um, algorithmic, uh, sorry, exponential leaps in complexity of how to do everything. Um, are you someone who likes to lead a portfolio lifestyle and like you enjoy having a number of projects happening at the same time? Yeah, definitely. I really love it. Um, I like it. Now, sometimes I know that uh, it can be too much sometimes. And in this case, I think the past few years, um, I've been better and better uh, at taking a step back and understand what's too much and what I need to prioritize. Um, because of all these projects, I've become really big on prioritization, not just work or certain type of project, but also my health and my sleep. So my big resolution, for example, for 2021 was sleep. Just uh, sleep is like my one priority. And if I can't get it, then um, it becomes a problem and needs to be prioritized. Um, I'm really big on um, organizing each week, each month and each day differently and really reviewing prioritization all the time and also being really clear um, and communicate a lot about expectation with the project that I'm uh, taking on. Awesome. So what will you be um, shifting away from and moving? Can you talk about what your new job will be or is that still under wraps? Uh, no, no, I can talk about it. Sure. Um, so um, I'm going to join uh, Clear Horizon um, and um, I'm going to be part of the social impact team and um, be a senior consultant uh, as a data and tech uh, person. Oh, I love Clear Horizon. That's such a good choice. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited to join them. Uh, Are you going to be relocating to Melbourne or you'll stay in Sydney? I'm staying in Sydney, working from home. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. That's so good. Okay. Well, how can people connect with you and learn more about your work? Uh, they can definitely connect uh, on LinkedIn, just um, adding a message to it. And I'm always very happy to connect with people, especially uh, during lockdown and pandemic. Uh, connecting online is definitely not uh, an issue. Uh, they can also go on the website of Civita, so civita.org.au, and uh, send a message, um, and um, I'd be happy to connect with them as well. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, why don't you hang on a sec? We'll, we'll stop the recording and we'll have a little debrief. Sounds good. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. 
Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word-of-mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com. 